1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend with, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Um, well, a, uh, a big passage to dive into today, uh, and I want to start with a, uh, a question that might be painful for many of us here, but um, how do we deal with grief? Um, how should we deal with grief? I think as you look around society, sometimes you see, well, often you see people just ignoring the subject. So the wharf can be such a a bubble that everyone in the wharf is between the age of 21 and 65. No, No one is ever out of that age range. We retire off our old people to the south coast. Um, my, my nan lives in Bexhill-on-Sea, which is the highest average age in Western Europe. Um, we, we, we don't see death. We find ways to ignore it as a society. Um, we had uh, a, an interview at the barge with um, a guy called Jeremy Marshall. Uh, uh, he has terminal cancer, uh, but he's a Christian believer, uh, former CEO of uh, a private bank in the city, and we were interviewing him about his life and how he's able to cope in the face of death. And what is interesting, someone brought a non-Christian colleague, former colleague of Jeremy's, along to listen. And as Marcus, the senior pastor, was asking Jeremy the questions, you know, how, how are you able to cope in the face of death or what do your family think? Just the questions alone, not, not the answers, just the questions made her incredibly uncomfortable. We're just not used as a society to 
engaging with those topics. We'd rather just plug our ears and not think. What does the Bible have to say? Well, in one sense, the Bible says, well, there are no words. We're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to weep with those who weep. Jesus, the first thing he does when he comes to the graveside of Lazarus, though he's got the power to raise him, is just weep. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Just tears. And yet this passage, Paul doesn't want the Thessalonian Christians to be uninformed. He wants them to know there's more than that. Uh, There's hope uh, in the face of death. If the historical events of Christianity are true, if Jesus really died, if he really rose from dead, then there is hope for us too. Let's uh, let's see what this passage has got to say to us. My aim is just to uh, take us through and show us what we... uh, what this passage wants to say to us. Uh, there'll be a chance at the end for people to ask any questions they might have. Uh, if you're not a Christian person here, you're really welcome. Just weigh them up. Um, store up your questions. Um, see, do I, would I like this to be true? Um, and would I ever have reason to actually believe it to be fact? So here is the Christian hope. That we will be with Christ then. All Christians will be with Christ Forever. So 4 verse 18, all Christians are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Or 5 verse 10, he died for us that whether awake or asleep, dead or alive, we might live with him. So core Christian beliefs on display here. This life is not all there is. Jesus came the first time to rescue us from our failure. He is coming a second time as judge and Lord of all. He comes with the uh, the sound of the trumpet of the archangel, all signs in uh, first century of army, uh, the sound of the trumpet that was used on the battlefield. Uh, he's returning a second time to usher in the new creation as king. And when he returns, he will come and take all Christians to be with him forever. We could and we should talk about the wonder of this new creation he's going to usher in. Um, No more sickness or mourning or crying or pain. What a joy that will be. And yet the emphasis on this passage is not to do with how quality our life will be, a life upgrade it will be. It's who we will be with. So it talks about Jesus coming on the clouds. In the Old Testament, God always came with clouds. Clouds were the symbol of God's presence. God comes, we're in the clouds. We will always be with the Lord, 4 verse 18. We will live with him, 5 verse 10. We'll be with them. It's what we're looking forward to. It's what we're excited about. Um, Lots of us... um, We'll head off uh, to visit friends and family elsewhere in the world. Um, Noel and Amy have just headed off on uh, Malaysian Airlines to go off and see Noel's dad. You know, they're looking forward to some of their cultural stuff from Malaysia, but the thing they're most looking forward to is catching up with Noel's dad. Uh, Relationship, that's what we're to look forward to. We're to feel excited. Shouldn't need to tell us that. If this is true, if we believe it with our hearts, we will be excited. 
And it means we won't grieve like those who have no hope. Um, so look what it means for those asleep. Those asleep will be with the Lord. Um, so it seems like there's um, a young Thessalonian Christians. Um, Paul was only with them on his mission to Thessalonica for three weeks, um, three Sabbaths. He didn't get to teach them everything. It seems like uh, they weren't quite sure what was going to happen if people died before Jesus returned. Uh, and yet he says this, dying before Christ's return doesn't keep us from Christ. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Verse 15, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Um, Dying before Jesus' return doesn't keep you from the Lord forever. Uh, stupid illustration, but um, you know, uh, people queue up, these are queues for Wimbledon, so people sleeping uh, out night after night to make sure they get their ticket on the way in. Um, But you think, the poor old guy who's been out there so long and couldn't sleep the whole night, he just can't wake himself up in the morning, and the whole queue kind of wanders past him and he doesn't get the ticket because he slept in. Stupid illustration. It is not like that with Christianity. There's no such thing as sleeping in and missing the boat. Everyone gets the ticket. Every Christian is welcome and comes and will spend forever with the Lord. Verse 16, in fact, it's the dead in Christ who will rise first. So we're not to worry. Our loved ones who have died will be at the front of the queue. The dead are not dead. They're sleeping. So this, this doesn't stop us grieving those who have already gone, uh, but it does change how we grieve for Christian friends and family. Uh, we grieve, but not as people who have no hope. Uh, in a sense, we're actually grieving our loss rather than their loss. Uh, where the world stares down the barrel of nihilistic nothingness, of meaningless, of pure loss, Christians, we get to grieve with hope. Um, I guess the more painful question, and we want to acknowledge it, is this, what does this mean for those who might not have trusted Christ? Um, Well, what we don't know, what we do know. What we don't know is where they actually stood when they died. We don't know what happens uh, in the last hours of someone's life and what business they might do with the Lord Jesus. The thief on the cross did business with the Lord Jesus in the last hours of his life and Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. We, we don't know what's happened in those last few hours. What we do know is that God is a just and good judge. As Christians, we've entrusted ourselves into the hands of a good and loving judge. And that's what we do. Uh, in those kind of situations, we say the God of all the earth will do right. Uh, and we, however painful it is, we, we leave it in his hands and we find comfort in his hands. Uh, for those asleep, um, they'll be with Christ forever, those that trust him. Um, be those awake. Um, 
those alive when Jesus returns will be with him forever too. Verse 17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will, we all of us, we always be with the Lord. We all make it. Um, Another Q illustration, but... Um, this is the queue outside the digital nightclub in uh, Newcastle. It just absolutely rammed. Some people are there going, um, am I, they're at the back and they're going, am I ever actually going to get in? They're there, they're awake. They're just not sure they're ever going to get in. And they watch those celebrities or whatever it is walk in the front and don't need to queue. Uh, and yet, it's, again, it's not like that with Jesus. Um, there is room for all. All of God's people will be in and will be with him forever. Uh, how do we apply that? Well, it'd be worth asking, isn't it? how much do we currently think about the return of Jesus? When was the last time you thought about that? That Jesus might come back. He could come back very soon while you're alive. When was the last time that thought crossed your mind? Jesus reigns now in heaven. He's coming back in judgment and he could come very soon. Are we ready? Are we excited? Uh, Will the way we've lived our lives now make sense on that day? That would be an important question to ask. Uh, Will the way we've lived now make sense on that day? Uh, Paul talks about the Thessalonian Christians as people who've, who've got this, whose lives will make sense. So in 1 verse 6 he says, Will you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were ready to suffer to be Christians, and they weren't even sad. Well, they were sad about the persecution, but they were joyful. <laughs> that, that makes no sense if this world is all there is. If Jesus is returning, that life makes sense. Or 1 verse 8, the word of God sounded forth from you, he says. If Jesus isn't returning, there are still some good reasons to tell other people about him. There is one massive reason in his return to tell people now about the Lord Jesus and his return. Um, When was the last time we spoke to people about Jesus? When was the last time we remembered the reality of his return? Um, As a, um, I don't even know whether I was a Christian at the time. I grew up in a Christian family um, and about age of 16, nearly 17, someone gave me a book to read um, and it just set out the claims of the Christian faith from an eternal perspective And the book was called The Shock of Your Life, and it gave me the shock of my life as I read. And God used those words to go, okay, uh, now I get it. Now I love Jesus, that he would save me from hell for heaven. Now I want to tell people about him. Look at how great he is. Look at what awaits us beyond death. Does my life now make sense in the light of what's to come? the shock of our lives. Um, How do we know all this will happen? Maybe that's the question that's been going around in your head. It's like, yeah, great that you believe that, guys, but it's just not true. Well, the answer uh, the Bible would give and this passage gives is because Christ rose and because Christians are united to Christ. Um, So Christ rose, Christ was raised. So verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so the Christian claim is this is an historical event verified by the eyewitnesses who were ready to go to their death saying, yes, this happened. 
Uh, read one of the eyewitness accounts if you'd like to. Um, see what you make of it. Uh, it really happened. But here's the bigger truth, that what happened to Christ will happen to Christians. So verse 14 makes that point. Jesus died and rose so that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Um, the most common description of a Christian in the New Testament is somebody who is in Christ. It's over 300 times. The word Christian comes up is it once or twice. In Christ is the most common description. And it's a way of saying that what happens to Christ happens to Christians. So if this is us, this is Christ, we are in Christ, what happens to us, what happens to Christ happens to us. Christ died and was raised to life. In Christ, we've died to sin. We have been raised and we will fully experience that. We will be raised. That's the point this uh, passage is making. How can we rise again? Well, because Jesus rose again. Application, encourage one another. Verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. We're to speak of this to one another. This is reality. When was the last time we spoke to another Christian about this? Um, I was um, writing those words, and then um, someone texts me. Uh, a friend, he is uh, from a previous church. He's a bus driver, and his practice is to, um, in between his shifts, um, he gets a, a break, he has his quiet time, and he texts round a load of his friends some encouraging verses, and he does it pretty much every day. Martin, he's great. He's a cockney. All right, Matt, how's it going? Um, But here's his text. Um, Watcher, Matt. Uh, Marvel at this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully uh, dressed for her husband. Heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And he finished it. Can't wait, mate. That was the end of the text. Uh, Wouldn't that be great if, as a church, we were reminding each other of these truths? Um, uh, He will come then. Jesus will return then. um, And we want to be ready for Christ now. Um, Ready for Christ now. Jesus is coming back. We must be ready. Verse 2. You yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come. If you know someone's about to arrive, you get ready. So if you know your um, boss from head office is coming, you get ready. <laughs> you make sure the report is done. You might even tidy up around the office a little bit. I'll try and make sure that all the jobs are done at the barge by the time Marcus comes back. <laughs> uh, we must actually be ready, ready for the return. His return should be no surprise. So we don't want to be caught out. Um, no surprise to you. At verse 4, you, Christians, you're not in the dark for that day to surprise you like a thief. Um, theoretically, sorry to just sow this seed in your heads. Theoretically, we could get home, couldn't we, and find that our place had been robbed. Um, let's pray not, but it, it could happen. Yet the return of the Lord is no surprise like that. Christians know it's coming. Um, verse 4 uses the image of um, labour and pregnancy. Sorry if that brings back um, painful memories for some of you in the room. But uh, this is the image. You, you know that it's coming. If you're pregnant, and you know you're pregnant, you know sooner or later 
you're going to have the baby, okay? It, it will happen. You might not know the exact time, but you'll know it will happen. Um, so Timmy and Vanessa earlier on this week, congratulations to them. Is Timmy in the room? There he is. Congratulations. Uh, um, welcome to the world, Eli Lum. Um, but Vanessa, you know, they were preparing for weeks in advance, months in advance, buying up all the right things. Didn't know exactly when, but they were ready. Better than me and Mary with our first daughter. We knew she was, we knew she was coming, knew Phoebe was coming, and yet we thought it'll be all right. We booked ourselves a trip to a, a spa with some Tesco vouchers we had left over, and we booked it for the first day of Mary's maternity leave. We thought, oh, we just got to go into the hospital to pick up some test results, and they said, yeah, the baby's coming out today. <laughs> Unlucky. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't quite as ready, <laughs> but you know it's coming. Uh, again, the context seems to be another confusion for these young Christians um, over the timing of Jesus' return. So verse 1, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware, it seems like not all of them are, uh, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We know it's coming, but like a thief we don't know when. Uh, so throughout church history, people have tried to predict the date of Jesus' return um, have you ever heard of the great disappointment? Guess what happened or didn't happen on the great disappointment? There are, in fact, three great disappointments. William Miller predicted the return of Jesus, first off on the 21st of March, 1844. Then he recalculated it for the 18th of April, 1844. People were starting to get a little suspicious by this point, but a new date, 22nd of October, 1844. And, you know, literally, Thousands and thousands of people across uh, America in particular sold up their property, were gathering together, going, this is the day. He will return. Uh, don't get sucked into those kind of things. It, the days will come like a thief in the night. Uh, uh, we'll be surprised about the timing, but not that it happens. Um, not like the rest of humanity. This is a uh, painful truth, but who will find it a nasty surprise. Uh, Jesus' return will be awful for those unprepared, the Bible declares. Uh, so the thief image says something about timing, uh, but it also shows how destructive it will be. Um, when uh, I was born in Lambeth, um, the age of six, I can still remember it, um, coming back, uh, running, I always used to run on up ahead uh, of mum to get to the front door and just, I don't know why, just stand there and wait for mum to come and unlock it. And yet walking up there and being able to push the door open didn't bother me. Walked on in. Mummy, where's the... I want to watch Thundercats, mummy. Where's the TV? Why are all the wires pulled out? What? You know, a mum just sitting there crying that someone's stolen her engagement ring. Uh, and all the kids want to do is watch Thundercats. But it's just destructive, it's devastating. Verse 3, it will be awful while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Um, like those people this week driving over the bridge in Genoa, um, holidaying, enjoying life, just sudden destruction. While humanity is driving along, living for self, not God and others, suddenly we come face to face with God as judge. Uh, all of humanity as a whole 
heading over the edge. Uh, Verse 9, speaking to Christians, 5 verse 9 says this, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, there's an offer of salvation, and yet without him, this passage says, well, we are destined for wrath. Uh, Not God flying off the handle, but his just settled hostility against all that is wrong in our world and in our hearts. Uh, We fail to hit our own standards, let alone God's. We want justice for wrongs done to us. We don't want justice for wrongs done by us. Yet we need to be ready for this return. A guy called uh, Luciano uh, Gocchia. Uh, maybe I'm not getting the pronunciation right, but he was about to step out of his truck, which he'd parked underneath the Genoa Bridge. Um, and the headline in the paper said, A blast of air saved my life. Just the way the rubble fell threw him away from the truck. The blast of air saved him as the bridge was coming down upon him. He lived. He survived. Well, in Christ, there is a way to survive. That The weight of judgment can fall not on us, but on him. That there's a way through and we're to be ready now. So we're to get ready by trusting uh, him before his return, but we're also to get ready in how we live. Last point, um, living in light of the future. So what comes in the future is to change how we live now. So this is um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry up on the screen. Let me just take you back in time to the moment uh, when they were engaged, before they were married. Um, How was Meghan going to live? You know, all this media hype, suddenly all the attention on her. The one thing she didn't want to do is get caught doing something unprincessly, if that's the right way to finish that word. She... She knew her destiny is now to be a a royal uh, and to to live that way. But knowing that day was coming, that wedding was coming, was going to change how she was going to live now. She wasn't just going to try and get wedding dress ready in her body. She was going to try and get royal ready in how she lived her life. Uh, And that's what we're to do. We're to live tomorrow's world today. We're to know what's coming in the future and we're to let that impact how we live today. Uh, So verse 2, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord. And just watch how he uses this word, the day, in uh, verse 5. It's to change how we live. For you are all children of light. You're children of the day, Christians. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So this is uh, a reality. Have you thought about what you will spend eternity doing if you're a Christian? We, we will spend eternity living for Jesus, living perfectly pure lives, living like children of God, people who have gone into the family business. God's family business is sacrificial service. We're going into that family business. God's family business is purity. That's his family likeness. We're going to be like that forever. Did you know that? We spend eternity running around, zealous for good works, Titus 2 says. Come on, just give me some good works. I'm really zealous for them. I'm looking forward to it. That's what you're going to spend eternity doing. Now, let that reality change how we live now. We are children now. 
Uh, like Megan living the princess she was about to fully be, we're to be pure now, we're to flee darkness now. Um, around this section, before and after, you get kind of specifics of what that's going to look like. So verse 15 of chapter 5, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another, to everyone. Uh, right actions flow from right mindsets. So what we need to do is get our minds in action first. We need to have sober minds. Verse 6, did you see that? Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So before it's about avoiding drunkenness itself, it's about a whole mindset thing, isn't it? Verse 8 spells out the mindset. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on this, this mindset, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So when people are drunk, uh, they make decisions differently. Stuff that seems like a very bad idea normally suddenly seems like a very good idea. You live for the moment. You just think, yeah, the next drink is really sensible. Yes, staying out till 2 a.m. the day before a presentation at work is really sensible. (laughs) When you're drunk, you miss it. But when you're sober, you see rightly. Uh, We're to remember the future, uh, not just live in the moment. Uh, And what guards us is the helmet of the hope of salvation. It shows me how to live. It reminds me what I've been saved for. So Christianity, it doesn't say, maybe you think, along with, seems like what other other religions say in this world, that Christianity says, well, behave, and then you can belong. Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says, what we hopefully say to our children if we're parents, uh, you belong... So now behave. This is the family you've been brought into. Now live up to that. This is how our family lives. Sacrificial service of others. Uh, Sober minds will lead to sober actions. Uh, So we're to live our new status. We're not of the night or of the darkness uh, anymore. We are of those who are awake and are sober. We're not asleep, forgetting that his return. We, we live knowing that it's coming and we help others get ready, get ready ourselves. We don't get drunk. Um, uh, we know that day is coming and so we live the values of that day. I was chatting to someone who's become a, a partner in Canary Wharf um, recently and he was saying, look, the, the aim of when you become a partner, they've just got this kind of extra set of expectations of you. You're supposed to embody the, uh, the, the characteristics and the kind of the values of the company. You, you embody that. You live it 24-7. Um, he said it's pretty high. Well, how high a bar it is probably depends on your company, but there you go. Um, but he was saying, look, you embody that value. We're to embody who we are now as Christians so soberness um, here means more than not getting drunk, but it does mean don't get drunk. It means that too. So God gave wine that gladdens the hearts of men, um, Psalm 104, verse 15. And yet, how often uh, do people drink too much? Do we drink too much? Um, uh, the sin itself of drunkenness or the other sins that we would plunge into because we are drunk. Uh, how, how often do we uh, drink more than a glass or two? How often after we work do we reach for the glass that becomes the second and the third and the fourth? Uh, we're to live sober lives. 
I can understand uh, the non-Christian fully living out the non-Christian implications of their life and wanting to drink to forget. Um, if there is no God, what is the point? Let's eat and drink and be merry. But And yet, Christians don't need to drink to forget. They've got a lot of good stuff to dwell on and remember. We're to stay sober-minded. Application... Encourage, encourage one another as we come into land. We have a wonderful eternity. Let's encourage one another. And yet that word encourage can also mean exhort, uh, spur on, challenge, uh, call people to obedience. Uh, in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 5, the word admonish gets used twice. We're to call each other on and say, look, live in the light of this. You're doing so well. Or How can we help you? How can I help you in this area? I need help in this area. Help me. We're to encourage each other. Jesus coming. We don't need to grieve like those who have no hope. We're to make sure we're ready. And we're to live as children of light. Let me lead us in a prayer before seeing comes and leads us corporately. Father, please help us fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, what is coming Uh, And will one day come, the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Help us live in the light of that. Help us be excited by that. Help us tell others about that. Help us be ready. In Jesus' name. Amen.